Hello, you're listening to the Diversity Matters Podcast Show, where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated. Join Mike and his guests as they deep dive into the heart of inclusion, equity, and diversity. They explore where the real change is happening and open up honest dialogue that touches on various DE&I topics, from lived experiences and inspiring conversations to ones that raise awareness, educate minds, and create greater inclusion in our world. Now here's your host, Mike Seeley. Hello and welcome to the Diversity Matters podcast show. Hispanic Heritage Month is celebrated to acknowledge the history, culture and contributions of Americans whose ancestry can be traced to over 20 countries in Latin America, including Mexico, Central and South America and the Caribbean. People of Hispanic descent have influenced American history and culture for centuries. The term Hispanic or Latino, or the more recent term Latinx, refers to a person's culture or origin regardless of race. My guest this week is Robert Leal. Robert is a colleague presently working within former markets as a sales account executive for the International Roofing Expo, the largest US roofing trade show. The International Roofing Show allows roofing manufacturers, distributors, and suppliers to exhibit their latest products and services to commercial and residential roofing contractors. Previous to Informer Markets, Robert had an extensive career working with the U.S. Hispanic market as an advertising sales executive for Spanish-language television, including the number one Spanish-language network, Univision, Radio, and Print. He is originally from McAllen, a border town in South Texas. Having been brought up in Spanish-language household, he is fluent in both English and Spanish. He graduated with a Bachelor of Business Administration degree from the University of North Texas in Denton, and resides in Dallas, Texas. Robert, welcome to Diversity Matters. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Now, let me start because in the introduction, I'd mentioned that there were over 20 Hispanic countries that celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Just wondering if we can start with you, first of all, telling us what is your Hispanic heritage, and a little bit about what was life like for you growing up. Sure. My parents come from Mexico, the northern part of Mexico, and they immigrated from Mexico to the United States in 1954. When they came to the United States, they had three children Six, four, and two. <laughs> so I guess they were children slash toddlers. And then once they settled in the United States, actually in McAllen, Texas, which is South Texas, it's part of the Rio Grande Valley, they had three more children uh, for a total of six. I happened to be the youngest one. So I mm-hmm. was born in the United States in McAllen, Texas. McAllen, Texas is a border town, and it is pretty much Hispanic populated. Let's say when I was growing up, um, I would say about 75 to 80% of uh, the population in that area was Hispanic. So if anybody has ever lived in a predominantly Hispanic area, you know that two languages are kind of used and 
and mingled in a way. So uh, we call it Spanglish sometimes. And here in Texas, we call it Tex-Mex. So that was basically my growing up time. So I was um, in McAllen until I went to college at the University of North Texas in Denton. While I was in McAllen, though, I must say, we felt very American. We were listening to bands like Journey, to Depeche Mode, to Bruce Springsteen, the Bangles, uh, Cyndi Lauper. So we felt very American down there. I don't (laughs) think we realized uh, or were living outside our bubble back then. Also, well, tell me then, because it sounds like as you were growing up listening to this kind of 80s American music, did you listen to that also at home with your parents or did they listen to Mexican music? How was that at home? Good question. My home life was very Spanish language dominant, period. So you can easily say that I grew up with both languages. My parents never learned English. So in communicating with their kids, it was always a Spanish language situation. In the background, uh, we'd be hearing Spanish language television. We'd be listening to Spanish language radio. So my life in my household growing up was very Spanish oriented. It wasn't until I would walk out of my home and go to school that I would then speak English. So I was very fortunate in the sense that I was brought up uh, with two languages, Hmm. and um, I can't really say it was something difficult, because when you teach a child two languages, the child just absorbs everything. Mm -hmm. And and it's not like I was being tested, you know, for grammar (laughs) or anything at that time. I was just speaking. So that basically was going on. So yes, as soon as I would uh, close my door to my bedroom, I would listen to uh, English language 80s pop. And then from my bedroom, I would hear Spanish language TV in the background. Mm. Excellent. And at school, what was the diverse mix at school? Was it predominantly um, Hispanic, American, any other ethnicities? We very much were Hispanic. I must say, though, a lot of us, like myself, was first-generation American. I would be going to school with friends that's last that had a Spanish surname, like Gonzalez or Hernandez or Martinez. But they could have been third, fourth, fifth generation Mm -hmm. Americans. So the diversity, I don't think, was so much in the, you know, Hispanic, Black, white, Asian type of diversity. I think the diversity was more of the generations that you had been in the United States and how long you had actually built your roots in the United States, uh, because reality is we were a predominantly Hispanic populated area. Mm. So we did speak English at school. Like I said, we felt very American, but I think our backgrounds when it came to my classmates, when it came to my friends, I think that's where our background differed in the sense that Um, A lot of my friends had been in South Texas for quite some time, 
And if you kind of go back to their history and their generational trees, uh, you'd see that their great, great, great grandparents mm -hmm. were in that South Texas area when it used to be Mexico. Wow. So it seems like a lot of my friends in South Texas or that I went to school with had been in that same place for many, many, many years. So it wasn't like they crossed the river. It's more like the river crossed them in a way <laughs> uh, that uh, they were always in the same situation, you know? Yeah. And when I say the river, I mean the Rio Grande River down there that actually is the boundary from mm -hmm. Texas to Mexico. Back then, that area, that entire South Texas area was part of Mexico. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that when you asked about the diversification of my childhood, I think most of it had to do more generational American than what it was with different ethnicities or cultures or backgrounds yeah, because all of that I really did not know since I was living in my you know teenage bubble until I graduated from high school and went to college mm -hmm. in North Texas in Denton Texas which is about 45 miles north of Dallas that's when I saw different ethnicities oh. All honesty, I had never really seen African-Americans or Asian-Americans. I had seen them on television, but I had never, ever really had friends because they yeah. weren't around in my where I grew up. And unfortunately, we didn't travel much as a family, mm -hmm. you know? So um, a lot of that diversity, I think, started with me when I started college and started to befriend people from other ethnicities and mm. from other cultures and from other backgrounds that I wasn't familiar with. And tell me, what, what was that like for you? You're now at college with a much wider, diverse group. What was it like uh, making friends? What did you experience from, from that time? Well, a lot of insecurity at first, because in my hometown, in my high school, I seem to have participated in so many extracurricular activities that I felt like I was so busy and I had friends and people knew me and I knew who they were. You know, I was very much involved in our student council. I was very much involved in our marching band, in our tennis team. So. I was very kind of uh, a go-getter, I guess, if you want to call mm. me that in high school. But when I went to college, I, I, I felt a little insecure because, first of all, it was the biggest culture shock mm. I had ever gone through at that age. You know, I wasn't I, I felt like I had to start all over again, introducing mm. myself <laughs> to people <laughs> And then at this point, it was to people that I didn't know too much of their background. And I guess that is what college gives you. You know, mm -hmm. it gives you the opportunity to go and, and mix and network and get to meet people that, that are different from you. Yeah. So I think that although that insecurity that I originally had kind of went away, probably like in my first semester, 
I then started to have friends and I started to meet people and, and enjoy my time at the university. And I felt like I started to blend in somewhat. Mm -hmm. Like I was Hispanic. I do speak two languages. I do know two cultures, but now I'm learning about so much more. And I think that that was so important to me. It was almost that growing up period that, uh, you know, some people go through at different ages. Mm. I think college definitely was for me that turning point uh, when I was able to learn about other cultures, other ethnicities. I was able to befriend them and learn from them Mm. and uh, become their friends. Which, um, I'm going to ask you almost a two-part question here. Which parts of the different diversities and cultures did you really enjoy? What did you learn? What were the bits that you thought, oh, this is different to my own culture, but it's, it's, it's fantastic? I guess what I learned the most, I think, is that my world is not my world. <laughs> In a way, the world is so much larger yeah. than my neighborhood where I was growing up or my high school. The world yeah. is huge. When I started to speak to people up in college that were of other ethnicities, I really, really liked their foods, the histories mm. of their foods, the music that they listened to. And I really just liked being friends with somebody different. For yeah. some reason, I or different than me and my growing up time, I really felt like I was learning, you yeah. know, at such a young age, I really felt like I was becoming a man of the world, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was felt like I was having the opportunity to meet other people that my parents never got a chance to meet. Yeah. Because my parents were not educated people. My father went to third grade and my mother went to sixth grade. That was the extent of their education. Mm -hmm. So for me to find myself in a college classroom, in a university classroom, I felt proud. I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to learn about the other ethnicities, about their food, like I was saying, mm-hmm. their 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 music. I wanted to learn about their families in a way so I could go back and talk to my parents about it mm-hmm. and talk to my parents about these very cool people that I got a chance to meet and that I was friends with now. Fantastic. So I really liked that part, I guess, of the diversification of my college or my university is that I was learning and, you know, my parents taught me so much growing up, but I felt like I was teaching them now at this point of my life. Great stuff. Now, in any any large city where, you know, you have great diversity, there is always some level of discrimination. Did you experience any discrimination at all? And and if so, what type? You know, I can't say I really did experience discrimination to where I was made or I was, you know, made feel less, less than, I guess. Mm. I can say that, you know, there are times where 
a Hispanic or a Mexican joke would come about or that I would take offense to in mm-hmm. a way, but I have to be bigger than that, you know, and I have to realize it's not, it's not me, you know? So as far as any type of discrimination, I don't think I did now in an indirect way, the way you yeah. kind of phrased it. Yes, there are some jokes out there. There are some things that are said that I don't think are appropriate. Mm-hmm. But then again, like I said, I have to be bigger than that and just realize it's it's not me, yeah. you know, that they're personally talking about. So I do see, you know, some inequalities as I, you know, navigate my own world now at, at my age, I do see some inequalities that I don't think are fair. But at mm. the same time, they're not directed towards me. And I ask myself, what is it that I can do? And really, the only thing I can do is just treat my friends and my family equal. And um, little things like that, I think, are important to me. So I won't be one of those people yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is seen as... Uh, as as like as if I'm treating somebody not equal or giving them some type of a, a space to be in. Yeah. Now, once you graduated from college and you got into the working world, one of the things that was mentioned in in the intro was that you worked for um, was it a Spanish broadcasting and marketing company. What was the type of work that you're doing? So you're talking about um, Univision, which is the Spanish, the number one Spanish language network in in the United States. I was doing advertising sales for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically that is going to advertisers and having them advertise on the network. When I started with Univision, they were looking for national um, salesperson or what they call a network salesperson for the Southwest area, which included basically at that time all of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Oklahoma, and looking for a national sales rep to work for Galavision. Now, Galavision is Univision's cable network, (laughs) and it was a starting it was just launching basically at the time. So what Univision did is they acquired a a cable network and they said, let's just put sports in this channel and put some old novellas on there and some sitcoms on there, obviously Spanish sitcoms. And let's see if we can um, sell this network, you know, and Mm -hmm. expand our audience um, so I was hired as the Southwest uh, network rep. And what I did basically then was, since this was network and it was national, I would go to advertising agencies. Uh, and back then, uh, and when I say back then, I mean the early 2000s, we had or Hispanic advertising agencies existed. Um, they don't exist as much anymore, but those Hispanic uh, advertising agencies would actually produce the Spanish language commercials for their clients and their national clients. And this is like American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, uh, Burger King, uh, Western Union, AT&T, uh, Sprint back in the day. <laughs> um, 
So they would produce those Spanish language commercials and distribute them, you know, whether it be on TV, radio, or print. And so my job was to go in there and convince them that Galavision was Univision's uh, cable network and try to get their business to air on our network. So it was a great job. It was great uh, for my career back then. Um, it was a lot of fun. And not only that, it really, really allowed me to learn a, a lot about the differences in um, Hispanics uh, within the U.S. Again, being from Texas, majority of people in Texas are of Mexican descent. But once you start expanding to New York or Florida mm -hmm. or, you know, Chicago, you start seeing a lot of Puerto Ricans, a lot of uh, Cuban descent uh, people up there. You you start seeing a lot of Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. a lot of South Americans, a lot of differences. So even within the Hispanic, what I learned working at this network was even within the United States, the word Hispanic is so huge and it turns out to be like a big umbrella, yeah. you know, for yeah. a lot of the other, you know, cultures that are within that. And like mm -hmm. I said, you know, we've got uh, South America, uh, which has a lot of countries down there. We've got Central America that has about five to seven countries down there. We've got Mexico, which is just within itself huge. <laughs> and we've got the Caribbean. We've got uh, Puerto Rico. We've got Cuba. We've got uh, the Dominican Republic. And so all of these countries have some type of representation up here in the U.S. Yeah. So when I was working for, for Galavision, we used the term not Hispanic so much. We would use the term Spanish dominant or right. Spanish language. And that was our audience, basically, uh -huh. because, you know, we were not having programming or uh, you know, for uh, Puerto Ricans in particular or Mexican people in particular, we were having programming for the Spanish language audience. Right. And so that was part of my sales pitch to the advertising agencies or advertisers that I would go and uh, talk to about our network. Yeah. The great thing about our network, too, is back in the day is that we had so much soccer and I think that we were the only Spanish language outlet out there that had soccer. Wow. And as you well know, soccer is one of Latin America's largest sports. Mm -hmm. So felt like the Fox Sports Station in Spanish, you know, <laughs> uh, back in the day. So basically, um, it wasn't too tough of a sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'd say, all right, all the all the other Spanish language networks have, you know, telenovelas on or they've got yeah. this on. Well, we have sports. We have soccer. Oh, OK. Talk to us about it. And so, so it was a it was a fun time to be there. It was a fun place to be there. I learned a lot. It was uh, not only my job at the time. Um, but it was um, very educational to me. Mm. It really was. And let me ask you a question, because I, I can imagine back then, you mentioned all the different countries. And so it was Spanish speaking, less of the focusing on the culture of each country, more about the language, right? The, the content. 
has mm-hmm. that changed today? Is there is there more of a focus on the different cultures that exist? Yes, I think that as I guess the population grows here in the United States, the more diverse I think it gets within the Hispanic community. Or so so basically the the advertising I guess that is done will have a little bit of a of a Mexican twist to it or a Puerto mm. Rican twist to it depending on the product they're selling or where you know the advertiser is selling but yes i think just you know within time and within the new advertising outlets which is digital you know mm-hmm. that it can be a little bit more targeted to yeah. a particular ethnic group so it's really interesting to see this growth i think that advertisers have seen you know in the outlets that they now have to advertise particularly to an ethnic group or a culture or a country versus just speaking spanish so the sophistication in advertising has really stepped up to what it used to be when I was working um, yeah. this 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 uh, area because, like I said back then, we were more concentrated in the Spanish language <laughs> or Spanish dominant person or household, and now uh, with the advertising vehicles that are out there, obviously including di- digital. There's a lot more targeted uh, yeah. resources that you can take to uh, reach a particular audience. Yeah, excellent. Now, of course, one of the things that we are talking about here today is Hispanic Heritage Month, celebrated between the 15th of September and the 15th of October. How, how do you celebrate this month? What types of things do you do you know, with your family or, or within the community? I think that in all parts of the U.S., the Hispanic Heritage Month is celebrated with educational events around the community or community festivals. And I guess just depending on where you live and what you want to do, I guess, because there is a lot to offer, especially in larger um, metropolitan cities, there is, you know, bigger parades, I guess, than Mm -hmm. the smaller community ones, or there's uh, more art festivals, you know, or more uh, dance recitals, you know, of Mexican folklore, ballet folklorico, as as we call it, um, that are offered. So um, I live in Dallas, and I do get the opportunity to um, take advantage of these um, events as they occur. I really like to do that with my family because not only do I enjoy it, I fully Hmm. enjoy it, but I am also passing on that, I guess, education to my nieces and nephews, which I have a lot of, by the way. (laughs) Um, So I think as an uncle, I do feel that uh, it's kind of my responsibility to let them know 
that uh, this is where their grandparents came from, you know, and this is where their great grandparents came from. Because what I've also noticed is, you know, sometimes uh, first uh, or first, second, third, fourth generation Americans sometimes lose their heritage or lose their roots, which is very common. Mm -hmm. But if I can instill something into, you know, my family or the next generation of my family is certainly to be proud and to know what uh, ballet folklorico means, you know, and what the dances are, you know, Mm -hmm. like in Mexico, each state has its own dance. You know, I don't know if you know that, but it's, it's amazing to, yeah, they, they have their own, um, folk dance so it's just amazing to go to one of these mexican ballets where each state is represented uh with their their state costume and with their state dance so that's very interesting and um you know for my nieces and nephews and like i said i enjoy it i really do i i just enjoy (laughs) it and make an evening out of it so there are many, many ways to celebrate um, Hispanic heritage. And by the way, it is Hispanic Heritage Month. And, you know, if I can say something about that history, in 1968, President uh, Johnson had uh, proclaimed one week observance and called it Hispanic Heritage Week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20 years later, President Ronald Reagan actually extended that one-week observance here in the United States to a month uh, observance, which is what we have now, September 15th through October 15th. So we've had that, uh, thanks to President Reagan in the 80s, that gave us a whole month to really celebrate and observe that and, and remember the different cultures and the contributions that people have made uh, to the U S fantastic. Now I'm going to spring you up to where you're at now. You're obviously within former markets. You work on the roofing expo. Tell me a little bit about your work there. So I am, um, in sales, uh, Mm -hmm. for the international roofing expo. It happens to be the largest roofing expo in the U S my job is to, uh, sell booth space and sponsorships for exhibitors. Um, our exhibitors are mainly manufacturers, distributors, or suppliers of roofing products or services. In our show, we have an average of about 550 exhibitors, and our attendees are either uh, residential or commercial contractors. Mm -hmm. So the last show, our show is on a annual basis. So the last show uh, was here in Dallas and we had over 14,000 attendees. Uh, The next show is going to be in February in Las Vegas, February 6th through the 8th. And that is going, um, that we're expecting about the same amount of attendees, obviously always trying to bring in more. So that's that's basically what I do at at Informa Markets, or you know, like I said, Informa Markets uh, produces the International Roofing Expo, and that's the show that I've been assigned to. Excellent. Now I know that there are maybe just a shade over sixty million Hispanic people in America. As a business, how are we attracting 
business from the Hispanic community, whether we're talking about the manufacturing companies or the distributors? Are we beginning to see a growth in Hispanic companies in this business, in the roofing business? Yes, and it's 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 great that you, you mentioned that because we have really seen an increase in Hispanic or Spanish language uh, attendees at our shows, so much so that we are doing uh, different things like making our website also in Spanish. Mm -hmm. We also are doing some signage uh, at our show in Spanish. Um, And we have a large exhibitor in the International Roofing Expo. This exhibitor also, I guess, saw the increase in Hispanics to the roofing industry, that they decided not only to have their own show space or exhibit space, but they also decided to buy from us an additional 1,500 square feet and call it a Latino lounge. Oh, wow. So very interesting in the sense that they started this two or three years ago, and it was a success. So what they do basically is they have this very comfortable lounge, if you will, with some couches and some tables and some drinks, some coffee, some pastries, and they ask people that are speak that speak Spanish or that Spanish is their dominant language to come and visit them. And then what they do is they have representatives from their, co- their company and talking to them in Spanish and explaining to them what they do. So these Spanish speakers ended up loving this and it was a success. If I can call it a circus around, <laughs> around that Latino lounge and, because of that, it seems like a lot of exhibitors have actually noted that. And I'm sure are wondering, how is it that we're going to reach out to these people? And so I really was very happy to be part of uh, this exhibitor's uh, Latino lounge, I guess, inception. Now, I was their sales rep. So I was able, when they came up to me and they said, hey, Robert, you know, we're thinking of having a Latino lounge. I mean, I was like, please move forward. What can I do about it? Let's, let's, let's work on this together. So, you know, they had the idea. They really did uh, the entire, uh, you know, blueprint of this, but we being uh, the show itself helped them out with a lot of the marketing mm-hmm. uh, to this. So it really helped them be successful. And if you come see us at the IRE in February in Las Vegas, you'll see the La- Latino lounge that I'm talking about. Yeah. It's a very fun place to be because like any other Hispanic space, there's music, there's a little <laughs> bit of dancing or moving of the hips here and there. That already sounds uh, like fun. Yeah. So uh, I really do think that they did an incredible job in reaching out to the to the Hispanic people. So, you know, there is a lot of growth. um, Mm. And I think a lot of uh, probably unidentified growth at this moment to um, and in in the roofing expo that uh, we're working on to not only reach out to 
more attendees, but also to exhibitors and kind of asking mm. them what what are you doing to reach out to this to this audience? Yeah, I'm assuming that um, that that lounge was was created by that particular exhibitor has seen a, a significant return on their investment. Yes, so much so that they have grown uh, tremendously in the past five years. They've really become one of our top, top exhibitors. And I can tell you that they really weren't uh, that, they weren't even around like 10 years ago at our show, you know? Uh, So they have really become huge and they've had i think a lot of success with this mm-hmm. and also i i think that the the latino lounges you know it 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 seems like a new concept but it shouldn't be a new concept yeah, you know yeah. it's just kind of like you know somebody just had to do it yeah. you know because it's not like the audience wasn't out there somebody just really had to you know invest a some money in in building this little area where common people can meet and talk business. I'm wondering then whether, you know, the Hispanic community generally is an untapped market, or at least it's a market that's not fully, you know, taken the opportunities that exist, and not necessarily in the roofing, but the rest of the, you know, infrastructure and construction world. And if you think about some of the other brand families that we have, I'm wondering whether there is potential opportunity to do something similar like a Latino lounge and and grow business for those uh, families. It sounds like a real opportunity. I really do think that it is, in a way, an untapped market, the way you mentioned it. And Uh, And the reason for that is because of its growth. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that there's a little over 63 million Hispanics in the U.S. uh, right now. But if we really were to look at it uh, a couple years back, they had about like 50 50 million maybe. Uh, So if you look at the tremendous growth in the the Hispanic market, there is that constant need of education and outreach that needs to be done by in our world exhibitors you know um and in the advertising world advertisers and everybody else because although we you know say we did it like when i was working uh in television uh, in advertising sales it's like i feel like i did it 20 years ago but those those people had kids and now Mm. those kids are 20 years older and now navigating their lives, you know, their, their careers. So they need some type of outreach. They need some Mm -hmm. type of, you know, invitation, I guess, to certain product services. So in a way, I think that there needs to be constant education and constant outreach and not because you did something 10 years ago. That means, okay, well, we've already done something for the Hispanic community. Yes, it was a success or yes, or no, it wasn't a success or whatever the situation might be. I think that reality is that it has to be constant Mm -hmm. uh, outreach uh, to these, to, to the Spanish language people or to the Hispanics in the U S um, it has to be constant or else it just, you know, I mean, generations grow and, and, uh, you know, and you're not going to keep a base of customers if you're not out there reaching out to them. 
Robert, this has been fantastic. It's been great speaking to you. Um, we've come up to the end of the show already. It's gone so quickly. Um, just wondering, just before we end, if there's any final words or things you would like to, to say? Yeah, I guess that uh, I'm proud to be Hispanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that a lot of uh, young people out there should should also take pride in being Hispanic. And if you have the yeah. opportunity to speak Spanish because your grandparents spoke it or because your parents spoke it, um, keep up with it somewhat because it really, really, really is beneficial to know two languages. Yeah. And you you make yourself very, very marketable to the workforce, knowing two languages. And it's good to uh, to be that bicultural person yeah. because it uh it puts you a kind of like a little bit ahead of the next person that is competing yeah. with you in that job so keep up that uh learning about your roots and keep up the pride and and um don't forget if you have the opportunity to speak spanish just really really learn it that's fantastic well i guess that message is you know hold on to your heritage and yes be pr- be proud of who you are always correct excellent. i agree with that totally excellent well robert thank you so much for joining me on diversity matters it's been a pleasure uh listening to you listening to your experiences and i do hope to see you when i'm in dallas i'm not sure when that will be but i will certainly <laughs> look you up anyway <laughs> well you are welcome in dallas whenever you'd like to come oh, that's great thank you very much well listen you take care and hopefully i will see you soon all right thank you so much bye bye listening to this episode of diversity matters if you liked what you heard then be sure to hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time